0: The football pod with Paddy and Andy.
1: For me, footwork has been something that's got me out of trouble. I'm on more than one occasion, on and off the pitch, so i go with that one.
0: <laughs> Download the OTB Sports app and subscribe to the GAA podcast feed now.
2: The Snap on OTB Sports, brought to you in association with the Aer Lingus College Football Classic. Northwestern Wildcats versus Nebraska Huskers at the Aviva Stadium on Saturday the 27th of August 2022. Get tickets first. Official pre-sale is Friday the 19th of November.
0: Yeah, Friday the 19th of November. That's tomorrow, folks. So we'll have more details on where you can get your tickets for Northwestern versus Nebraska. Before that, I'll welcome in my partner in crime, Keen Fahey. Keen everythings.
1: How are we doing? I'm all right
0: this is kind of a redemptive show in terms of our NFL storylines, which we'll get to later. Are the Chiefs back? Are the 49ers back? Are the Patriots back? Were the Patriots ever away? Do you know, that kind of felt like the theme of last week.
1: Yeah, that and a lot of teams falling back to the pack as well. It doesn't seem like we have clear... Like We've, we've kind of talked about this the whole way through the year, and we will get into it, but it doesn't feel like we've got any standout teams in either conference at this stage.
0: Yeah, and... Um we might get to the Rams later on but it was obviously the big talking point last week when Odell Beckham landed there and for, for my money keen this feels a bit like karma because they're building a football team the wrong way and their form is reflecting that, they, um, like there's just nothing to love about how they're trying to engineer a championship here and so far it's not bearing any fruit anyway.
1: You just turn into a 65-year-old man here where you're just giving out about doing things the right way and wearing your hat the right way around and all this kind of
0: thing. Yeah, it's just my sense for it. It's like, I don't know if it's the right way, but it just seems like, what are they even doing? It seems quite irresponsible. Here, listen, it's not my money. They're not my draft picks. But, like, there's no forward planning at all. It just seems like we've got this glitzy new stadium. We have to bring a championship back fairly quick. It obviously goes without saying that the Super Bowl is there this season, so they're they're probably keen to... You know, have have it on home field advantage like it was for Tampa Bay last year. But you know, it's just like this player's available, that player's available. We'll get him. We'll get him. You know, it just doesn't uh, doesn't ring true as far as I can see, Keen.
1: That's been one of the theories about Sean McVay all along. That there is a sense that he could just use up every uh, asset he has, try everything he can in Los Angeles, and then jump ship because he knows he'll get a job wherever he wants or he knows he can go into, he can follow the John Gruden path, well, hopefully only part of the John Gruden path of going into uh, commentating as well if he wants, that option is there for him too. So there, it, there is a sense there that uh McVeigh is kind of doing whatever he wants and trying everything there and then he'll jump ship if he has to. The Rams don't seem to have too much of a problem, with it. the fan base is excited about all these moves, so who can complain really?
0: It's interesting the Odell Beckham one which at one point seemed like a luxury soon became a necessity because Robert Woods insofar as he's a, a good number two if not pushing to be number one at times in his career is obviously gone now so Odell who was like an extra trinket on top of their cast of options in the offence is now like going to be relied upon heavily, even though this does look like a short-term deal by all accounts. We'll get into all that I- I shortly in the pick six, but as you heard at the top, uh, we are brought to you in association with the Aer Lingus College Football Classic. Be the first to get tickets to see Northwestern versus Nebraska at the Viva Stadium on Saturday, 27th of August 2022. That's through the official game presale, which is happening tomorrow. That's November 19th, so be sure to check in for that. Owen Sheen actually spoke to the founding fathers of the success story that is is this college football classic, Porco Cocaine
2: and John Anthony. Have a listen. And then if, and if we do it long enough, like we in, envision, we can see the benefits and the momentum that builds each time. It's a real snowball. And, and we've got facts to back that up, right? In 1996, when Notre Dame and Navy played, we had 16,000 Americans in Ireland. When those same two teams were there in 2012, we had 35,000 Americans. Now those same two teams booked in 2020, there were 40,000 Americans. Now we had to cancel, but we're back in 23, and and we that's what we expect, and and that tells the story better than we can ever tell it. Right? Th- those are the facts, and you can look at where every ticket is purchased and the zip code tracking it and see that. That shows that when people come, go to Ireland, they have such a tremendous time, they want to go back, and they tell everybody who di- who wasn't there, oh, you missed out on the best week of the year. And so then they come with them the next time. And then yet again, I mean, we were shocked. Uh, We were hopeful. But to see the numbers grow each time like that, really, as I said, it tells the story better than we ever could. So if we can get into a cycle with some other schools where the same people, you know, the multi-generational thing, which is what Irish American here, uh, relationships are all about and we're seeing it come to life through sport.
3: And interesting just to take off that, the economic uh, benefit, the 147 million that we've announced for the Notre Notre Dame game in 2023, it's not a make-up number. Grant Thornton and Fulch Ireland analysed the 2020 cancelled fixture of everything was booked, everybody was coming in, we cancelled the game in June, we had to cancel everything. John and I still have nightmares about all the refunds. but. The point being, the game might as well have happened for them, that economic, so for a, a singular game to bring in virtually 150 million directly in the Irish economy and indirectly, then games will keep giving from the business and academics, so what else are they worth on top of that? So that's why the much more than a game tagline comes with this. It's not just a sporting event coming in and benefiting Ireland over seven days, every length and breadth of the country from a tourism perspective, it's the bigger picture and certainly 2012 has got serious legacy still going on in Dublin. A lot of them buildings that it went up, and a lot of the funds that came to the, came to Dublin, discovered Dublin when they're at the Notre Dame Navy in 2012.
0: Yeah, Park Kane and John Anthony there on site at Northwestern University with our own own sheen. you can catch that full interview and all of own little bits and pieces from his stateside visit over on our channel. That's YouTube.com forward slash Off the Ball. Um, and Kane, they talk about the the fervent crowd and sort of the enchanting atmosphere that can come with these games and we've seen with Full Houses in the Aviva just in the last week back-to-back games, Ireland against Portugal and then the game at the Aviva goes without saying The another famous victory over New Zealand so you mesh those two things together, the, the game day experience which we've talked about across the last couple of weeks that comes with you know, the, the college game day experience and you couple that with people just delighted to be back in these full stadiums and, and what that can bring so it's going to be a great occasion in August.
1: Yeah, we want Bama at this stage. Like we're, we're starting to build up here. He's talking about how we're growing, how we're getting more and more tickets. Let's get Alabama over here, and let's go Let's a go whole hog and get, get Notre Dame, Alabama, maybe. Get two of the real heavyweights of college football eventually, and then we can really start uh, going at it, I guess. And then you'll have a real... Uh, like. To be honest, the way they're talking there, you feel like you could have more and more games. So it feels like this is just going to continue to grow. So getting in on the ground level of it's going to be a great idea, I think.
0: It's only a matter of time before it segues into that talk that became commonplace once the Wembley started doing their games where when are we going to have an Irish team like when are we going to enter one of the Irish colleges into the American system <laughs> we'll just see wh- where would we fall in that game we'd have to find roles for ourselves as PR are we
1: shown, lads?
0: I wonder if we, if we combine the best athletic talents from every university in the country maybe a few rugby cast offs get them in like rebrand them as, as NFL players or American football players we could, uh, we could be on to a winner there
1: I'm going to distance myself from your take here. This is a bit like your uh, Roy Keane, Jason Knight comparison this week. I'm just going to stay over here and let you keep going with that.
0: This is me just trying to throw out a compliment to the, the young athletes of Ireland, including Jason Knight, and you're, just, you're not buying in at all. But we talk, the lads were talking about the, the legacy of these games and the legacy of college football at large, because it was just last weekend off the back of a fairly dispiriting performance, which we'll get to later on, from Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. That he went back to Louisville and got honored and tears in his eyes and it just shows like sometimes it's retroactive where players have a good college career and then go on to have a great pro career and they're they're honored twofold whereas he was an absolute inspiration in Louisville and has gone on to do similar things in the NFL
1: yeah, there's a great video of him finding out that he's going to get that honor as well and he's just sat there in like a zoom meeting and all the cameras on him he thinks he's meeting a fan or something like that and then the the coaches and then come on and they surprise him and he's i don't think he actually cries but he looks like he's close to crying and it's it's always interesting whenever an nfl team it used to be when they had a bye week but now they have the thursday games as well whenever they've got a thursday game or a bye week you always see the nfl players are back in their college stadium watching the college games so the only kind of negative for them is that the seasons run congruent alongside each other which means they they can't go to these games and be standing on a sideline the way it is, but it, it, it's always been really interesting as well. Like I mentioned Alabama, when you see the likes of Mark Ingram and uh, Derrick Henry would go back and they were standing next to, was it Najee Harris? I can't remember which running back that was there, but there's just like the evolution. You can track the lines of, oh, Mark Ingram was the star when Derrick Henry was a freshman who was just on the roster Everyone was talking about him, but hadn't done anything. Then when Derrick Henry was there, the next guy coming up, everyone was talking about. And there's those kind of trajectories. But there's also the aspect of, like, DBU, I believe is Miami. Uh, Miami like, considered themselves to be the home for the best defensive backs. They had guys like Ed Reed. They also considered themselves to be the home for the best tight ends. They had loads of tight ends over the years. But it, it, it the, these schools carve out their identities, and their identities often are determined by the players who go to the NFL and how well they play and how... Uh, the lineage it comes back from there and how how they kind of develop and their identity that way it can be really really interesting
0: yeah and that lineage you talk about of the teams that are coming to dublin like otto graham is one of the greatest players to ever play the game he was northwestern alum so you know you never know who you're going to see if you go to this game in august you could have a future nfl star on your hands on that point, we have a ton of American football goodness coming your way this week with the return of OTB Club Gridiron, it has highlights from the snap, reports from games, early bird tickets to events and more. You can also pick up the code ahead of this pre-sale, which kicks off tomorrow. Sign up now at otbsports.com forward slash Now, time for the pick six. Yeah, I think it was Ian Dowie, keen on Gillette Soccer Saturday a couple of years ago. Well, it's a good few years ago at this stage. Came up with the word bounce-back ability, and a good few teams have showed that across the NFL in the last week. None more so than the Chiefs, who we've incrementally been writing off as a busted flush this season, but they've quietly put together a series of wins. A few caveats there. Obviously, the, the, the Packers didn't turn up, and we're obviously minus Aaron Rodgers. They should have lost to the Giants, but still won that game. And then we're... Fairly impressive. It looked. This is the closest we've seen to last year's Chiefs all season.
1: Oh, my bingo card! I had Stuart Pierce coming up before we started talking about Ian Dowie on the snap. Uh, yeah. The Chiefs, like we've gone through this whole year, and the shine of Patrick Mahomes, the aura of Patrick Mahomes, has obviously been wiped off a little bit. And I think that's actually been a big factor for the team psychologically. I think they don't really go into games anymore. So, as the last year, or the year before. Mahomes threw like five touchdowns in the first half against the Raiders and he was hitting deep balls all 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 over the place. And he wasn't doing that in this game. And it's been he hasn't done that really all year. But one of the noticeable aspects of this game was Darrell Williams, the running back, came in and ran over a couple of Raiders players. And it, it kind of seemed to just give the Chiefs a level of belief that hadn't been there. Like they suddenly realized, oh, we have this toughness to us. We actually have some resilience to us. We can turn up and actually fight to win this game rather than just Going through the, the struggles we've gone through all year. And once they had those couple of big plays from Williams, Kelsey was involved in the passing game. He wasn't like building the big plays downfield, but Mahomes was relying on him again on the underneath and intermediate throws, which reignited the offense. The one notable aspect of this game, though, they still aren't hitting the vertical passes. Mahomes missed a couple of wide open throws deep down the field. tell you kill wasn't a huge factor. He should have had a 60 or 70 yard touchdown down the right side at one stage, and Mahomes threw the ball over the sideline. so. They definitely still have room to grow. But this is the first week where it's felt like there's been an actual real fight back from them. There's been a, an idea of, oh, we're actually going to turn this year around. We're Actually, we are a good team. We're reminding ourselves of being a good team. And you had a couple of the defensive plays as well. Obviously, that Deshaun Jackson fumble was a crazy, crazy play. But you have to give the defense credit still. They scrambled and got, got the ball back. So there's life in the team yet. Is there enough life? Who knows? The, the AFC West has kept them alive for the last month. And now they have to spend the next two months keeping their playoff options alive.
0: Yeah, and while they've been in that offensive mire, which they're not totally out of yet, the defence has actually stepped up and has been the Achilles heel of the Chiefs for a good while, but across the last few weeks have have held firm and, and kept them in a few games, but the lads or the people watching the show here would have seen Travis Kelsey flash up on screen, but Mahomes is the story and always is the story. Like Dan Orlovsky did a piece a couple of weeks ago saying that he's so athletically gifted that he never really had to work on his fundamental mechanics. Do you see logic in what he's saying, like Orlovsky was basically suggesting when it comes to like sheer like fundamentals things that are, are taught from an early age that Mahomes would be among the least disciplined in the league.
1: Yeah, but you see, this is a nonsense point from Orlovsky because Mahomes has played this way his whole career. When he was great, he was playing this way. So the fact that that's still happening isn't the reason for the change in the, the drop-off in performance. He threw a ball with his left hand at the weekend. Like He's never been someone who throws the ball properly or throws the ball the way you're supposed to. And he's gotten away with it because of how talented he is. And maybe he'll re- reverse that and come back into doing that over the long term. I don't think that's the reason he's been less effective. I think the drop-off hasn't been major, it's been minor, just the rest of the team around him hasn't been as good as it was previously. And you're also seeing that he's getting hit a lot more, his his body is starting to take those hits a little bit more. That's a bigger deal to me rather than his mechanics, because his mechanics is one of the biggest reasons I didn't think he was going to be a good NFL player. Because in college, he used to miss everything, and his feet would be all over the place, his throwing motion was all over the place. That hasn't changed. That's who he's been. He, he won a Super Bowl doing that. He won an MVP doing that. That's not a new story. So that shouldn't be pointed to as the reason for his struggles.
0: Mm. It's a funny one because like, I suppose when those things aren't clicking, those like, Hollywood throws, for want of a better term, aren't clicking, they look that bit more reckless. And also, like to use a boxing analogy, like Roy Jones Jr. was the opposite of convention. But he got away with it because he was so talented. But then once his athleticism started to deteriorate and he got a little bit less durable, you know, those errors or fundamental flaws in his game were showing up. And you just worried that might be the case with Mahomes. He obviously has more than enough talent to cover over for the time being. But people make the comparison with Aaron Rodgers. And there is no comparison in that regard Where because Aaron Rodgers is probably the greatest throw ball ever.
1: It's Philip Rivers as comparison. Like, Philip Rivers' footwork was always terrible. His throwing motion was always terrible. He was never, like, considered, like, part of this is also just skin colour and the perception of how athletic players are. Mahomes isn't an athlete anyway. He's, the only athletic trait he really has is he's got a huge arm, which Philip Rivers never had. So once Rivers' arm started to dwindle, he just relied on his mind more. He played ahead of the defence more. Mahomes can do that too. He hasn't needed to do it yet because he hasn't actually started to drop off yet. He's just gone through his inconsistency over this year.
0: Listen, I don't think your dog's agreeing with my Dan Orlovsky point, so I'm going to move on. Ah, to
1: she's just giving out whatever.
0: Number two in the pick six, uh, Mac Ten, and Mac Jones is trucking along there, Keen, and I don't think anyone could have foreseen him. At least of all the Forty ers who decided to move up to get him and then decided against it. Do you know, he's been just uh, like an unbridled success, really. Like I don't know if it's by dint of the system he's in and the Patriots very. It's a cushy landing spot for a rookie because they, they game plan to such minute detail, but he's been, I think a lot of his intangibles have been really strong as well this season, just from the outside looking in, that he seems to be running that offense in a very measured, measured fashion.
1: So if you go through the Patriots season, you'll see over the first month of the year, Jones averaged 40 attempts per game, and he actually hit 51 as a high in the, against New Orleans at home, and they lost that game and they were losing, I think they were 1-3 at that stage. But the, if you go through it, and you see at the start of the year, he was throwing the ball a lot. And now he's throwing the ball less, and he's averaging about 23, 22 attempts per game. And you could very easily just make a, a story here, a narrative of, oh, Mac Jones, they were asking him to do too much at the start. Now they're asking him to do a lot less, and that's why the Patriots are winning. Bill has gone to running the ball and playing defense, and the typical Patriot way, blah, 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 blah. But the reality of it is, Mac Jones is throwing the ball less while doing a lot more. He's throwing the ball into coverage downfield. He's making third down conversions by throwing the ball to intermediate routes. He's hitting deep balls, actually, now which he wasn't really doing. or wasn't even attempting at the start of the year. At the start of the year, he was throwing the ball a lot. But they were all very simple plays. It was a lot of screens, a lot of outside throws to the flat, a lot of plays that were safe. They've gradually asked him to do more as the season has gone on. And now, over the last uh, six games or whatever it is, They've, they've won because of him a lot of the time, and the offense as a whole has been very effective. And the team has been very effective. Hunter Henry has seven touchdowns in his last seven games. He wasn't used at all at the start of the year. He's a mismatched tight end in the receiving game, so you have to find ways to get him the ball. Him and Jonathan Smith can be the identity of the offense, but Jonathan Smith was out this week and they still were able to destroy the Browns. The, a real story of it, though, is Mac Jones has no real athletic ability and no real... like He doesn't have a big arm, he has a, big, a good enough arm, Whereas Baker Mayfield has a huge arm, some athletic ability, but can't play from the pocket. And he hasn't been able to for his whole career. He's been relying on play action and the simple plays I was talking about with Mac Jones there a minute ago. You saw Mayfield throw a horrible interception to start of the game where there's two defenders waiting for his pass, and Jones doesn't make those plays. And uh, Mayfield does because he's not able to diagnose coverage. He's not able to replace. He's not a cerebral passer. So Jones has proven that he is that. And he so far is the standout rookie quarterback this year because everyone else around him, while more athletically gifted, are just not as smart or maybe not smart isn't the right word. They're not as comfortable in the pocket or not as poised against pressure in the pocket.
0: Yeah and it's railing against the the phenomenon of the last few years where athleticism has become a much more coveted thing and you know as you said he's somewhat railing against that. On the point at the beginning there that I just basically insinuating that he had like maybe his form is indicative of the situation that he's in like is it fair to say that if Trevor Lawrence was in New England he'd be playing to a similar if not higher level and it's more the fact that he's in the the garbage situation of Jacksonville that he hasn't maybe fulfilled the potential we were expecting from him?
1: No I don't think so, I think it's fair to say that Mac Jones wouldn't be as effective if he was in Jacksonville and it's fair to say that Trevor Lawrence would be more effective if he was in New England, but it wouldn't change who they fundamentally are as quarterbacks. Like we've seen lots of quarterbacks in bad situations prove themselves to be good individual players and not just get the statistical output or the team results because of the quality around them. Trevor Lawrence isn't playing well in a large part because of how Trevor Lawrence is playing. Like, the, the Jaguars' play designs aren't good and the play calling isn't good. But even when he's being asked to do simple things, he's not doing it well. So you can't really just take him and say, oh, he'd be better. What they'd probably do is use his athleticism more. What they'd probably do is move him around a little bit more just to make his life a little bit easier. But I don't think it would make a, a dramatic difference. Like, Matt Jones has a couple of plays this week uh, against, the, against the Browns on third and seven-plus where the defense shows him one thing at the snap. Bails out of it and hides it, and then they build off of that for the next play. Try and try and confuse him over and over and over again. And all of these plays are not about the coaching staff. They're Mac Jones reading uh, Mac Jones' ability to read the coverage. Mac Jones seeing what the defense is trying to do to him, understanding the scenario, understanding what to anticipate, and understanding where to look when the ball is snapped. And he he does that and he executes perfectly. Hunter Henry's touchdown on the by the right pylon was a play where the Browns tried to master coverage by showing zone and then playing man and. Uh, uh, Mac Jones had a second at the top of his drop to make the decision and figure out where to go with the ball and get it out before the route had run over the sideline. And he executed it perfectly. Like, that, You could say the coaching during the week of teaching them how to do that, Yeah, maybe that's a big impact. But traditionally, quarterbacks are either able to do that or are not able to do that, regardless of who their coaches are.
0: And just lastly, before we move off this, you did mention um, Baker Mayfield there. And he was obviously the, the outside looking in in this scenario. Like the Browns are in an interesting position now where they obviously spent the first draft pick on this guy. He won Offensive a Rookie of the Year uh, but now he finds himself in a run-first offence and he's coming up on big-time payment year. Like, What would you do in that situation? Is it a no-brainer? Did they just have to pay him or do you think it's the opposite where they just have to cut ties at this point?
1: Paying him doesn't do you anything good. Like this, it, This is just this idea of because we spent the first overall pick on him, we've decided he's our guy and we're going to pay him and keep him and they'll do that. But they're just going to be Kirk Cousins. Like, it's like the Vikings have paid Kirk Cousins three times now, I think, based on restructures in the original deal. And they keep him there even though he proves every year that he's going to cost you games and you're not going to win with him. And Mayfield's the same thing. Like that rookie of the year, like everyone forgets that Freddie Kitchens and that coaching staff came in and played this really, really specific style of offense, this misdirection, play-action offense where the quarterback had very little to do and he was able to do a lot of things that we were talking about with Mac Jones at the start of the season where it's just safe throws, easy throws that aren't difficult to do. You stay ahead of the down and distance then you can be effective. His numbers were so misleading as a rookie and it was obvious from year two and year three that he was just not the right guy and he hasn't developed since then. If you're in year four and you're still making critical errors, you're still making errors that you'd be mad at a rookie for making, you're just not the guy and that they'll change the coaching staff, they'll change the personnel, they'll keep blaming guys like Odell Beckham and eventually they'll be 15 years in, they'll have won nothing and gone nowhere and never figured out why.
0: And on to number three in the pick six then, a capital punishment and the Washington football team gave the defending champion Buccaneers a bit of a beat down there and people will recall when these two met in the playoffs last season, it was a little bit closer than people might have suspected, granted the, it was a wild card entry for the Bucks, and the Washington team were somehow the division champs in that scenario, but like they the hung with them, Heinhe had a decent game, but I'd be interested to hear your thoughts, was this Washington playing above themselves or are the Buccaneers just at a really low ebb at the moment?
1: Um. Bit of both. I I like Taylor Heineke. Like I don't like him as a, an idea of he's going to be a guy to start and build a team around. But as a backup, he doesn't kill you, and he, he's he's quite fun to watch because he's quite athletic and he makes decisions uh, that are aggressive, aggressive mindset. So he, he tries to win games, whereas a lot of backups come in and are just trying to not make the critical error to stand out in the wrong for the wrong reason. So Heineke gives you a shot, and you have Terry McLaurin, there. You have Antonio Gibson. You have a lot of talent. But the real story of the game was the turnovers and. The first one is, is uh, Leonard Fournette drops a pass on second down. That gets them to a third and long. And then on third and long, they throw the ball to the running back. It bounces off the running back. I can't remember which uh, player it was. It wasn't Fournette. But it bounces off of him into the air and it's an interception. And then uh, soon after that, you have Tom Brady trying to hit Mike Evans over the middle. I don't know what he sees, but he completely misses the timing of the play. Evans is running behind the linebacker, and the ball arrives at least a second too early. So it goes straight to the safety and the, over the middle of the field. Then they almost had a third interception and they were very lucky not to because the defender just let it go through his hands uh, 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 on the ground as he was diving underneath it. So it was kind of a sloppy uh, aspect of the team. They had defensive offside penalties that they shouldn't have had. They had false starts that they shouldn't have had. And it just put the Washington team in uh, a head start basically. And then at the end of the game like it was still possible for the Patriots to come back and Washington just controlled the ball for I think it was nine minutes and capped it off at the touchdown and won the game. And, It was a really, really impressive day for Washington, and it was another loss for the Buccaneers where you feel like that's not a game you should have lost, and it feels like no one was better than you. They weren't more talented than you. They didn't overwhelm you. They were able to get some pressure on Brady, but it's not like Broncos-Patriots playoffs in 2016 where they're all over him and shutting the offense down. It was a lot of the Buccaneers just missing opportunities and not not being able to uh, dictate to the defense. So the Buccaneers now quietly have three losses on the year, and suddenly we're kind of looking at them going, are they really as good as we thought they were?
0: And what's your gut feeling on that, like, they're probably, are they still the class of the conference, like if you really had to make a decision at this point, I know we picked a a chiefs Buck Super Bowl at the start of the year, we we certainly moved off half of that, but would you still be leaning towards them to, to get to Los Angeles?
1: Well here's the problem, like, the Rams just came off a horrible performance, the Packers don't look good even when Aaron Rodgers is there, uh, who else is there? The Cardinals have everyone hurt right now? So maybe you can argue for them when they're fully healthy. But the problem is like it's it's not that the Buccaneers are a bad team or, or, or aren't a top team, and then we can point to someone else obvious. like the Rams have been terrible for the last two weeks as well. So no, they're not to the, the pick of the NFC. But that doesn't mean there is a pick of the NFC. So that means they could still come out on top. Like By the end of the year, we could have four or five teams in the NFC that are kind of plateaued in the same place and they all have these inconsistencies, they all have these flaws, but they also have these areas of great strength that they can turn to. So whoever's great strength wins out on a playoff run over three games will ultimately win the Super Bowl or at least reach the Super Bowl.
0: Yeah, and on to number four in the pick six, scoreless in Seattle. And one of the teams who we think we would have pegged them as because they just hang around in the playoffs, they're there year in, year out, but they've been quite um, disoriented all season, not helped by the absence of Russell Wilson. And on this occasion, as you pointed out earlier, Keane, not helped by Russell Wilson's presence because he's clearly not ready to play.
1: Yeah, he shouldn't be playing. He, he's, he came back early and rushed back for his own ego, not for his team. Like the, the reality of it is he's not throwing the ball properly. He's also not really making decisions. He, he's making decisions based on... A quarterback who's unable to throw the ball deep comfortably because in that game they were playing in a box and the Packers recognized it early and they were like, oh, DK Metcalf can run past me all he likes because Wilson isn't going to try and hit him. Uh, when Tyler Lockett gets open on a deep comeback, route, the ball sails over his head. When he's open in the flat, the ball sails over his head. The Packers defensive backs were like, okay, we're not scared of the vertical game. We're going to come down, shut you down and force you to try and play the ball and force, force you to beat us over the top with your quarterback who's playing with a broken finger or a finger that's not fully functioning the way it needs to function. And you just saw it. like He had a couple of horrendous throws in that game. And the offense as a whole wasn't particularly good either. The offensive line was getting beat up a little bit. The running game wasn't what you want it to be if you're a Seahawks fan. And then you have uh, Wilson hitting just one of the ugliest interceptions you're going to see where he throws the ball straight to Kevin King. and it's, it, you, you can't blame the finger. It's, it's more likely to be rust. But either way, it was just a horrible, horrible decision. And he, he needs to probably sit down for a week or two. But you just know the way he is and you know the way the NFL is. They're not going to sit him down. They're going to play uh, play him through. And he, anyway, even if they do, they're probably too far back at this point. Like the record is, I, I can't remember exactly what the record is, but they're way off playoff spots at this point.
0: Are they so entwined that this combination of Russell Wilson and the Seahawks is likely to drift to the end of his career or do you think he might make good on those soundings he was making last year in the offseason that he'd like to get away because it does seem to me this relationship has kind of hit the end of the road.
1: Well, they're three and six now and Wilson will probably make a run and keep them towards eight and eight or eight and nine or whatever we're calling 500 now with the odd number schedule. So the question mark is, can they win enough games this year that Carroll and Schneider aren't being looked at to be replaced? Because I think, so long as Carroll and Schneider are there, Wilson's there. I think those two are intertwined. I think, I think that's for certain. A new coaching staff might look at Wilson and think, mm, might get better value by trading him, might get better value and moving on. It rarely happens in the NFL. Normally, if you have a quarterback of a certain standard or a perception of a, a certain point, that they will just keep him and roll forward with him and try and build around him. So I think the safer bet is that Wilson is still there in 10 years and he's retiring as a Seahawk. But I also don't think that this is necessarily a completely safe regime because they've gone through a couple of rough years now. We've kind of been assuming the rebuild was going in the right direction. We've been assuming the players they've drafted would develop. We've been assuming that they'd start making the aggressive moves they made before to polish off their roster. But it just seems like everything's gone a bit stale it, it doesn't seem like there's any more inventive innovation there like when Pete Carroll came in and John Schneider came in they built that team in a way that no one else had ever even tried to build a team and it worked brilliantly and now it just feels like they're one of 32 rather than a standout franchise that is doing things the right way all the time and also Pete Carroll for all his energy and all his youthfulness that he, that comes across he's an old man like he's not necessarily uh, built to be around for another 10 years
0: no, that's an interesting point and one that goes sort of unspoken to a certain extent. Like, you can realistically see once Carroll bids goodbye to Seattle, Wilson doing the same might be a natural end for all parties, but one to keep an eye on because this has been a, a season of disarray for Seattle. On the flip side, before we move on, go on.
1: Carroll is 70. Like, you don't think it.
0: I know, I know. And it's just not talked about in those terms. I think his, uh, as you said, the way he carries himself probably. You know, it plays that down. Similarly, Belichick is just seen as this all-conquering machine that will plough on forever. But much like Alex Ferguson, I think the time will eventually come where he'll catch people on the hop and just step down. But um, just so quickly on the Packers, Keane, like, totally at odds with what's going on off the field, because it's been one issue after another, dating all the way back to draft night, when Aaron Rodgers basically dropped the bombshell that he wanted to trade. And ever since then, you know, it's never really clicked for them. And yet, here they are, like the number one seed in the conference, so they can be quite happy with their day's work, even though they didn't play all that well against a scoreless Seattle team.
1: Yeah, I mean, they're quite happy with where they are sitting right now, but like, it's also, you, just, you still see the same concerns. It's so why I can't turn around and say, oh yeah, the fucking have fallen off, so the Packers are now the favourites. Because, like, we've seen the defence be exposed. Like, I know they came in and shut down the Seahawks, but that was more about the Seahawks than it was then. So when you get the right matchup for them, they can be effective. But we've also seen teams come in and just run the ball on them with ease and make plays that they want to make based on like their own game plan, rather than having to adjust to what the Packers force them into. So there, there's very much limitations there still. If if Rodgers is healthy, well, like although to be fair, if you look at that Seahawks game by halftime. It was just a slugfest. It was like 3-0 or 6-0 or whatever mm-hmm. it was. It, like, it's not like they came in and ran away with that game and had control of it from start, from the get-go. Like They had to actually arm wrestle that game away from a Seahawks team that played as poorly as I just described. So there are definitely question marks there, but when you have Aaron Rodgers, you, you're just always going to be a playoff team at the very least. He's just that good.
0: Yeah, and as you said, if, if Rodgers is healthy, has taken on a whole new meaning in recent weeks. We just have to check in with Joe Rogan <laughs> for a health status update on uh, Aaron Rodgers intermittently here. On to number five in the pick six and Ram Shackle, something I said at the start of the show, that Rams have flattered to deceive in recent weeks. But the story really here is the 49ers, because I hold my hands up. I was kind of written them off for this season. But, you know, that was a classic play-by-play San Francisco template of a game. Do you know, the long drives, multiplayer drives. Jimmy Garoppolo just steered the ship. He didn't do anything fancy and the run game worked pretty well. So like they got their wide receivers involved. So the 49ers could conceivably put a little run together and make the playoffs here?
1: Yeah, getting George Kittle back involved as well, like that was a weird trend over the first month ago. I know Kittle was injured and dealing with things, but even when he was on the field, like he he wasn't an emphasis for the offense and it, it felt like he wasn't being used properly. And Travis Kelsey was the same in Kansas City, like we've already talked about. But Jeff Wilson there, felt like he sparked a little bit in the offense. He, he brought his aggressive, big, big back style running between the tackles. And, and like, it doesn't always show up in the stats as big numbers, but when you kind of make plays at important times, it can energize everyone else. And if you actually go through the stats for that game, it's not like the 49ers' offense was incredibly good. It was just doing enough to keep to stay on the field and to move the ball and to score enough. And then they were complemented by the Rams' mistakes. Yeah, I think the 49ers, like, I, I still wouldn't think they're going to be one of the best teams in the league or a massive threat in the playoffs because we've seen their flaws. But we also have to be reminded of how far that roster has gone with Jimmy Garoppolo in the past and how far that roster is uh, can go when it's fully healthy. So defensively, if their playmakers start to show up again, you, you've suddenly got, uh, you've got a scary unit there if everyone starts to play together on the same page like they haven't done over the most of the season. Offensively, the question marks at quarterback, quarterback are obviously there, but the talent is also there as well. Like Debo Samuel is phenomenally good at wide receiver. Brandon Ayuk hasn't been the player they wanted him to be, but he's got an incredible amount of talent. And then with Kittle and, and, and Wilson, you've got the foundation of the team. So there's definitely enough talent there for them to be effective. I, I think the, the bigger takeaway really was from the Rams and like Matthew Stafford just once again proving why I have never trusted him and why you just can't trust him. And Robert Woods is a huge loss. But it's also just, it's spectacular to read what Troy Aikman said this week where he thinks the problem is Odell Beckham. Odell Beckham played 15 snaps. He didn't play last week when they were just as bad. And somehow they're turning this into Odell is the problem already. And it's, it's just a startling way the NFL works that a guy can turn up to a problem situation. He's been there for three days. He's trying to make a couple of plays playing in a very small role and suddenly all the stories about him and we're blaming him as if he's the one who made the story about him and instead it's actually the people like Aikman and like you were saying at the start are not winning in the right way and that's kind of what Aikman was doing where he's like oh they went and got Odell they didn't need him that's a bad decision because Odell's a problem and it, it, I don't know I don't know what to kind of I don't know how to break this down anymore and understand this from the uh, traditional NFL perspective but the Rams are going to be a, a great uh, test of it and they're going to be a great litmus test of how we perceive the way teams work over the remainder of this year
0: yeah and like what they give up for Stafford in terms of the haul and he's no spring chicken either has you know although he's played through injuries through his whole career a lot of miles on the clock there so if this isn't the right relationship they're going to be they're going to find themselves in an awkward situation notwithstanding what we detailed at the start like the amount of capital they've given away on on other things like frittered away i would say so you know they can't talk about win now mode. I've never seen a team like it. They have this season, maybe next season, to put something together, and then they're going to. Be, they could well be in the wilderness for a little while. Just on the Forty ers I don't know what a an optimized version of Trey Lance looks like. We haven't seen enough of him in college, really. We haven't seen Colin Kaepernick. Like, is like in Shanahan's mind's eye, what does he like? If if Trey Lance fulfills everything he wants him to be, like, do you think? Is he gonna transform this offense? I'm just struggling to see the logic. He doesn't look like a Shanahan quarterback to me.
1: He's Colin Kaepernick. I'm not like I, I said it as a joke before, but not even as a joke. That's that's the that's the profile of him as a prospect. And Colin Kaepernick came into San Francisco and changed the San Francisco offense and upgraded it from Alex Smith. But I think the San Francisco offense is in a much better place than it was back then, because back then it was very much just hand the ball off to Frank Gore maybe hit a play to Vernon Davis, Michael Crabtree will catch a couple of passes outside. It wasn't like the 49ers' offense that they've had over the last couple of years with Shanahan where the running game is dynamic, they have game breakers outside, and they can dominate on any, any defense they come up against. So I don't know, like obviously this offense this year hasn't been like that, but they've had a bunch of injuries to deal with as well. But I don't think Trey Lance coming in and being really, really good dramatically changes the offense, but I do think... And especially because the way the offense works, the scheme there doesn't ask the quarterback to do as much as other schemes do. Say, for example, uh, Patrick Mahomes running Andy Reid's offense. But I do think if you come in and get the best version of Trey Lance, it offers a new dynamic that isn't there right now. You can open up the running game more. You can be more effective like that. But the problem is Trey Lance hasn't shown us that. Like We're already projecting far more than we should. He's shown us someone who looks more like um, Jordan Love was in Green Bay last week, where the speed of the game is too much for him where the accuracy isn't there yet and it's really just about his athleticism. So you've got to, they've got to figure that out and I don't think it's going to be figured out this year so it's more of a long-term project, which when you give up a couple of first-round picks, it has to be a long-term project really, doesn't it?
0: Mm. And lastly in the pick six here, turned down for what? And I think Andy out there has a graphic here of uh, one of the players that was earmarked from last weekend. In fact, it was last Thursday Night Football where Oh, Sammy Watkins. Keen, can you explain this to me? Like, for people who are watching on screen, he sees the ball, he's looking at the ball, and then he decides, nah, I can't catch that, even though it's right within his catch radius. So, a little bit, if we're taking this as a microcosm of something that happened to the Ravens in, in this instance and also in that game, and then expand it out into what was another trend in the NFL this week with wide receivers.
1: So when you're running towards, when you're running down the middle of the field, the fear, of course, of the stanchion, it's holding up the posts. Like The NFL posts aren't like rugby posts where the posts are on the side. They're actually right in the middle and it comes out like a Y and it comes up like that. And that's, I think, what happened. I think he, he couldn't see where he was going. He didn't know how deep he was in the end zone, so he pulled up. That's a wide receiver who's had a lot of injuries and taken a lot of punishment over his career. Young Sammy Watkins makes that play and does not even think about the post. But once you get older, once you've been hit a lot, once your body is broken quite a bit and once it's let you down quite a bit, you start to think about these things. The bigger play really was his fumble later in the game. And the receivers, the Ravens receivers as a whole, had four drops. Um, Marquise Brown had another fumble. And they were really ineffective after the catch, which is vital because the Dolphins just threw every blitz they could at, um, at... Lamar Jackson, which forced Jackson to stay in the pocket so he couldn't run, and it also forced him to throw the ball quickly, which meant the receivers were catching the ball three and four yards downfield the when they needed to gain 12 to 15 yards. So what that means is you're in space, go and make someone miss, go and break a tackle, but guys like Marquise Brown just don't do that. So that, they, they had the perfect game plan, the Ravens receivers made too many mistakes, and they need to be better there, essentially, if they're going to be a playoff team. In the Chargers game, it was very similar. Justin Herbert made a couple of mistakes early on and then was very good after that. But then they had six drops over the remainder of the game. and That's how they ended up losing to the Vikings. And when they were chasing a two-score lead towards the end, I think there was four minutes left in the game. Mike Williams dropped the touchdown over the middle because he tried to catch the ball into his chest or on his shoulder pad, rather than with his hands away from his body. And it was a critical play because it forced them to kick a field goal, which kind of energized the the Vikings' offense coming back on the field because they no longer were under pressure. Where if they gave the ball back to the the to the Chargers, the Chargers were driving to win the game and said they were just trying to get a first down and hopefully kill the game off. And even if they had to kick the ball back, the Chargers still needed a touchdown. So it was it was. Um, really frustrating weekend if you're a fan of good football and if you're a fan of good football teams because you want the Ravens and the Chargers and the Rams and the Buccaneers to be the best versions that they can be because we want those highlight clashes at the end of the year when you're in the playoffs and you've got the very best of the league going into the very best of the league and unfortunately all these drops all these self-inflicted wounds are just making it a bit of a sloppy league right now and maybe it's just because it's still relatively early in the year and hopefully it gets better as the year goes along but it, it's kind of reflective of the fact that we don't have an unbeaten team this year as well which is very early to not have an unbeaten team
0: yeah like i think chase in the offseason was talking about he could struggling to catch the new nfl ball so it kind of set the tone for what's come in the last few weeks where every week there seems to be a a weird anomaly of a of a non catch, but something to keep an eye on for sure. Before we go, uh, listeners to the Snap are in with a chance of winning some co branded beanies and merch. To enter, simply select the winner in our game of the week. This time, it's the Dallas Cowboys at Kansas City. Great game with the hometown Chiefs favored by two point five points. You can send your pick to us at Off the Ball using the hashtag OTB Snap to win some co branded goodies like this beanie right here. Keen, um, you can't compete, but what would you steer our listeners in the direction of in that game? Dak, you loving Dak? Yeah.
1: Dak, Dak, for, the, I, Dak for MVP? Possibly. I think the like when when Dak has been like he's missed a game obviously, but when he's been healthy, he's been extremely good. And the weapons they have there, it's it's just they're more talented than the Chiefs right now. I think Dak is just, I just trust Dak a lot more right now than I do Mahomes. Like even, we, we talked about the Chiefs game earlier, but Mahomes' big touchdown towards the end of the game or in the second half to Darrell Williams when he threw the ball back across his body, Williams had to jump over a defender and catch that ball from an unfavorable position. Like he, they were making those plays, but it's still, Mahomes isn't throwing the ball into the perfect spot the way he used to in the past off those broken down plays, whereas Dak is still doing that. So I'm still very confident in Dak, whereas I'm going kind of going into games with Mahomes going, what version of you am I getting this week?
0: Yeah, like you look at the game, Cowboys are the better team and they're getting the points, so I agree with you, I go with that logic as well. So want to keep an eye on a real mouth-watering match on paper. Thanks a million, Kane, and thanks to JP and Andy for helping put the show together. That's another edition of The Snap. We'll chat to you next Thursday.